So it seems appropriate to start talking about In Theory by mentioning Tasha Yar, because this is an episode predicated on the idea that Data is experimenting with romantic and sexual relations, and he's already had sex, and I think the episode did a pretty good job towards explaining that, because it was mentioned. But it's also interesting because of who possibly is in redemption. So what did you make of this? This was a very interesting episode, and I liked this episode a lot. But see, see, my thing about, and I think we said this when we were talking about uh, the Tasha Yar episode, I always did get the feeling that Yar and Data did have a continuing relationship. Um, but yet, I don't think it was one that was that emotional of a relationship. In other words, Tasha Yar was never the kind of person who wanted a boyfriend and wanted to have, you know, someone give her compliments. You know, she would have been more... I think they would have had a more now just to a fuck buddy type of relationship. You know, they just, you know, they both needed somebody they could talk to. They enjoyed each other's company. But at the same time, both of them are very into their jobs, and that is their primary focus. So I think they were able to both wanted a minimum amount from each other and were able to fulfill that very easily. Here, the woman wants a lot more than Tashiar ever would have. And so while he's had a sexual relationship before and while he has friendships and everything— this romance thing is a very new concept for him. I mean, in a way, we see the two of them having a friendship together and that being fine. I mean, Data's a very very good at being friends to people. It's just he's not really good at being a boyfriend. Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't know... It, it's, it's a hard episode to talk about because yeah. it, it, there's a lot of interesting Data stuff going on here. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with, with the Jenna character. And it's 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 a problem because I think if the show generally handled these types of storylines better and, and the female characters better, I would be more inclined to say that this is an interesting exploration of a woman who it doesn't exactly know what she wants out of a romantic yeah. relationship. But you can't really read this episode like that just because of the fact that this show has a lot of problems writing yeah. for women in general. In other words, it's not as if, she, you know, she may just have her view of relationships just might be a few steps behind and she thinks that what she wants, everything she wants out of a relationship is just someone to listen and be there for her. And this episode is her realizing that, no, that's not enough. I need something deeper than that. Um, yeah, which which be, she even says at the end of the episode. Yeah, but at the same time, it also gives the implication that all women seem, it, you know, that, that that's yeah, that's kind is of that the, the case. Is I, that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's a it's a case of the show is not good at writing women as individual people. It it sort mm -hmm. of subsumes femininity into some sort of like you know uh, a stereotype of of what a woman is like, and this episode is no different than a lot the, of other ones that we've but seen. But at the same time, then I would suggest that this episode is is say, in a way saying that that's not enough, and this is her recognizing that it's not enough. In other words. The show takes as its first step, this is what women want. Women just want a man who's going to be there for them and help them out of their problems and listen to them and, you know, be romantic. But, again, when, when she actually gets that, that that's, that, that's the very – I think this episode is making the point that the shallow signifiers of romance are, the, are, are, are just that, are very shallow and aren't – that's not enough for a deep, true relationship. And this is both of them – in their own way, realizing that. It yeah, well, that's that's true. And I think, you know, part of the episode really has, you know, we can't talk about this episode without talking about Data, of course. And, yes. you know, the thing with Data is that, you know, it's strange, right? Because, you know, we've talked a lot about before, does Data have emotions? You know, I think we're both on the same page at this point in, in the experiment where, you know, I, I know the show keeps telling us that Data doesn't have emotions, yeah. but... You know, I think, frankly, he does, he at least to some degree. Externally. Right. And so, you know, he, he definitely has sort of the, if we want to call them, like, the intellectual emotions. You know, he has curiosity, and he has sort of, like, longing, and he misses yeah. people and things like that. You know, he may not get angry, right? He may never laugh. Like, he doesn't get no. happy. Um, but at the some... same time, when, you know, he does have moments when a friend of his is bothered by something, Data enjoys helping them with the problem. Data likes when his friends are having a, a good time and are, right. are happy. And so, there, I mean, that, that is, that's, 
it's an emotion that's not really labelable in a way. But well, this you know this episode is strange because it's making me realize that you know Star Trek in general has always had sort of a problem with. Uh, adult, you know, human sexuality or even alien sexuality in a way. I mean, in a science fiction show? What? Yeah, I know, right? No, but... But the, the issue really, I think, is that, you know, the episode seems to think that while Data can form friendships and we see him, you know, there's that great montage of scenes where he's going to each of the main cast members and yes. asking them their opinions about what he should do. And, you know, of course, Riker's sitting back in the chair going, go, going for it. She's got a banging yeah. body, you know, or whatever he I says. Love that. I love mean, And the first half of the episode in general is really funny. Yeah, no, it is. I love, you know, Picard, you know, I'm as soon as I get a piece of advice, you know, and everybody has, again, their own take on this. But right. And I think, you know, it, it, it's just interesting to me that the show is is kind of this is the episode, I think, that puts this into the clearest picture that the writers of the show and maybe this is an attitude of the time or not. I don't yeah. know. Or maybe this is just a fundamental, a fundamental misunderstanding of what romance is. But or could could also be again, you know, some things did need to be stylized in a way for television. You yeah, know, maybe. Let's, let's add that is a factor here. But if it's possible for Data to to have friendly relations, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if I really want to go into talking about like you know Greek love or whatever, but we could uh, mm-hmm. that. You know, there are different types of love. And so, of course, like, you know, friendly love is different from romantic love, but there's still forms of love. And there seems to be sort of this fundamental misreading of of this type of, of relationship where data can have the the desire and data can have the ability to form friendships and form lasting friendships and form friendships that are. Uh, uh, you know, useful for both people in the relationship, in the friendship, and yeah. friendships are relationships. Yes. That, but, but he doesn't have the desire to have a romantic one, and that seems strange to me because if he's capable of having friendships, and and desires having friendships. To me, he would also desire having romantic relationships. Well, this paints him more as an asexual than anything else, I, which which is a is a valid reading of data. Or aromantic, but, because I do th- because that is a thing. There are plenty of examples if you do look at, you know, there are plenty of examples when you look at people who are, you know considered you know heavy scientific people or whatever. Uh, where I mean, in a way, romance is putting another person above everything else in this episode it is kind of it is seen as a problem and i think the episode agrees it's a problem that while he is thinking of jenna as her name yeah um, he's also thinking about 20 other things at once and devoting equal attention to those and i think the episode seems to think that romance means putting this other person above everything else to a degree and data is not the kind of person who's ever going to want to do that well i yes and no because i think that you know, it's 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 funny because, you know, Star Trek did this, you know, 25 years before her. I keep, you know, when I wa- when I was watching this episode, I, I was thinking of the movie Her because that's one of the 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 key ending points of the movie where the 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 character Joaquin Phoenix plays finds out that that Samantha, his his, you know, OS lover um, is is doing all kinds of other things while she's with him. And he's very hurt by that. Uh, you're probably never going to see it, so sorry if I spoil. Definitely it for you. not now. <laughs> but you know, and and I it, mean that sounds stupid, but no, I you know, but it, but it's but it's something that this show did, you know, 25 years before, yeah. and you know, frankly, I I don't know to what degree I can really agree with the fact. I mean, yes, it would be hurtful, but at the same time, Data's an android. It's not the kind... I mean, I don't agree with the episode thinking it's wrong, but I think the episode seems to agree with that viewpoint. Right, because, I mean, you know, human beings are capable of thinking of multiple things at one time. It's not as though we're only capable of one thought at one time. And, you know, certainly if you're with another person and you're fully invested in them and you, you, you want to be present for them physically, and emotionally and and mentally uh that's one thing but i also think there have been times in everyone's life when we're preoccupied for whatever reason or you know we're we're enjoying being with someone but we're also thinking about what we're going to have for dinner you know uh uh that i don't think that that's really a problem necessarily i mean to her i almost get the sense that this is a problem to the effect of i i i mean i'm trying to think of the, a metaphor in a 
you know, real life relationship, you know, maybe to the effect of making, you know, making a major purchase without telling me, or you accepted a job across the country and you didn't, you know, consider your girlfriend. Like that type of a thing is. But I don't think Data would do that. No, which is, di- I, and again, sh- I think she, she's possibly conflating the two. Maybe she is. And maybe that's part of the episode is her, you know, I don't know. The episode may have a different viewpoint about this than I do. Yeah, it's possible. I think the episode does have a different viewpoint than you do and that, that I do, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I think back to to the, the end scene where, you know, she comes in to basically break up with Data. And, you know, to me, she said, you know, she says something about, well, you're never, you know, I don't matter to you. And. I don't think that's fair to Data. I think that's really cruel to say to him, and I think that that denies his yeah. his his agency in this and his feelings, frankly, um, because Data has lots of people that are important to him and that matter to him. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, you know, it doesn't make her look good to say that. No. You know, I think that she's, I think she's mis either she's misreading the situation or she's misreading data, or the writers are. And it could be all three. I was about to say, I think it's a, I think it's one of those. I think it's the character. I mean, there's a degree, there's a degree to which the character doesn't know what she wants, but that is partially informed by the writers don't know what this character wants in a way. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. they, They, it would be one thing if, you know, this character doesn't know what she wants, but... You know, I think in five years, you know, she's going to end up with someone with these qualities and that's going to complement these qualities. You know, like that kind of a general answer. But in this case, if you ask the writers, well, who knows? You know, they they wouldn't really have an answer for that. So they don't, you know, you always kind of need to have a little more information than your character does. And here they don't. I would agree with that, and I think in in the case of Data, it's even more that they have different information than the show is portraying it as. You know, yeah. because you know, again, I think Data has more emotions than the writers give him credit for. I mean, and and you know, I I don't think that it's it's fair for them to put this on Data in, in, in that manner. Really? Well, let me put it this. Let me let me suggest this. Um, who wrote this episode? It was Ronald D. Moore and I think Joe Manowski. Okay, because I was going to say it almost seems like an episode by someone who didn't know about Tasha and Data. Uh, because no, I, because I mean, given the way that the show mentions you know relevant events that happened in the past, you would think at least somebody would say, "Well, you know, you did." It, it's not like Tasha and Data's relationship was completely secret. It's not known by everybody, but. At this point, like Riker and Picard know about it. Well, I think there's a couple different. I think there's a couple reasons for it. Number one, I don't think it's necessary to mention her by name. I think it's it's a nice point of continuity for regular viewers to pick up on the fact that the sexual relationship that they're mentioning that Data was in was yeah. Tasha Yar. Uh, I also boy. think that they may not have wanted to mention Tasha Yar's name because they didn't want to remind the audience that she existed because of what happens in Redemption. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I, I don't think that that's that big a deal. But No, and it's not that that wouldn't have saved a bad episode or and it doesn't ruin a great episode. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 a, it's a point within a larger analysis you know what I mean? yeah no sure. I, i'm putting that point in its place but yeah absolutely i mean we haven't talked about jenna as a person necessarily and i don't know how far the episode goes towards really making her a person but i mean i, I don't want to i don't want to do her a disservice by not talking about her as a person so that said i only invested so much time in mentally putting a spot for her in my you know in my head because I know she's not going to ever appear again, most likely. Right. So there is that. I mean, I think she's an interesting character because I think if if the show had, again, like I said, if the show had written the female characters better as a general rule, I think this could have been an interesting portrayal of a of a person who just was confused, lonely, yeah. didn't really know what she wanted. Everybody's Data had a bad there. breakup and a stressful time at work hitting at the same time, and they... Make a slightly foolish decision. Right. She she rounds up her feelings of friendship for Data into some sort of romantic interest. Yeah. Um, Data is perhaps the incredibly 
the the worst choice for that that she could have possibly found for many reasons. At I mean, the same time, her reasons make sense as well because she thinks she wants just somebody who's going to pay attention to her and nothing but. Yes, I think so. And I think also she she kind of at the end of the episode, she says, well, I, I just got out of a relationship with an unemotional man and I made the same mistake again. And she didn't realize that you know, unemotional and caring and doing things for people are not necessarily the same thing. But I also think that, you know, it, it's, it does a disservice to, to her character because it does portray her as a little bit of kind of naive. I was going to say, because data is a character that, that hasn't had any romantic relationships yet. And, and, and if they're friends, I think that they would, she, she would know that about data. Yeah. And so in effect, she's, she's trying to pursue a relationship with a teenager and that's not a great position for a woman in her thirties to be in. No. Uh, I mean, and let's, I mean, she doesn't really spend time getting to know him either. I mean, I think about the scene. I mean, I love the scene when they're in 10 forward with uh, Keiko and, you know, O'Brien and, you know, they're act having this double date. And she said, oh, and he said that, and she thinks data is hilarious, but we, we as the audience know that everything that Data says to her is not intended as a joke, is supposed to be the literal scientific truth because that's where he is. So in a way, she's not hearing him either. She's pro- projecting a lot onto him. Yeah, I think so. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, she, she obviously is someone that's not comfortable being alone. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that scene in 10 Forward because I, I, I do love that scene. And I, yeah. I love the little bits of Keiko and O'Brien that we get. And, you know, the, the show is doing such a good job in these sort of like really short scenes. Yeah. That, that really tells us a lot about how their relationship works and sort of how they got together and why they work as a couple. Even though we don't really know much about Keiko, we know very little about O'Brien as a person. But it, it makes it also... I mean, they're very familiar. They're secondary characters. They're kind of the beta couple in any scenes. They're when we need to just have two characters who aren't really involved in it. They are, in a way, both kind of grunts in there. You know, they they both have good positions in their fields, but they're not leading their sections or anything like that, you know? And so they're kind of the every everyday people, in, in a way. They, they're just as... I don't know, and it's funny because Jenna is also – there's a point here, and I'm finding it hard to make, Um, but a lot of this episode is putting Data into situations where he doesn't quite belong, and I do think about the fact that Data is a main cast member, and he is one of the most important people on the Enterprise right now, and I I, I mean – we how do how do I do you, do you, do you know where I'm going with this? No, not really. I don't know, because I'm about I, I'm edging to the point which is not the point I want to make. That well, Data slumming it with you know the workaday people, but that's not it exactly. I mean, well, uh, are I you guess... tr- are you trying to say that that Data being in this position is strange because he's wouldn't necessarily be friends with this person? No, and yeah. that's not what I'm saying either. So I guess I maybe this is not a valid point at all. Um, well, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, I know. It's kind of what I do. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's hard because I think Data is, you know, Guinan and, and Troy, I think, you know, Troy goes the furthest towards warning Data off, I think. Yeah. Because she knows that, you, you know, if you start to be friendly with someone and you're friendly with someone and Data is good at being friends with people. Yeah. Um, even though he may not know all of the cues, it's something that he has done for many years. But at he's this a great point. work friend, right? Exactly. And so Troy kind of warns him off doing this, I think, and 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 perhaps she should have maybe been even more, uh, 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 you know, strident towards him because yeah. she knows Jenna as well. I get the impression, and she knows what kind of person Jenna is. And well, Jenna's certainly been in to her to Troy many times over the past few months. I <laughs> guess I you guess know, she's she Troy. Yeah. She's told Troy all about this relationship. We can have short. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that I kind of. As, you know, from the little that we knew about Tasha Yar as a person, yeah. we kind of get the impression that she is uh, uh, the strong woman who hides her feelings, who who doesn't necessarily need a man in her life. 
Um, and so Data and Tasha Yar made sense in some yeah. way. And I think that that relationship was probably valuable for both of them. Yeah. Whereas I don't get the sense that Jenna and Data would be a compatible couple, even if Data had a lot of experience with romantic relationships. And so I, I think what Troy is trying to say is is what a lot of people say, which is like, you know, this is not the person for you to be with. Yeah. Someone is going to get hurt here. And as it turns out, of course, it's not really Jenna. Because while she's probably a little bit upset that it didn't work out, she she doesn't seem like she's going to be crying for weeks over this and eating a lot of chocolate. I would say she needs, she needs to have, you know, a Ben and Jerry's night and, you know, she just needs to get drunk with her friends and, you know, then she'll slowly get better. You she'll know? be OK. This is the kind of hurt that's having her grow up in a way. Right. But I think in a, in a sense, I think who's really getting hurt here is Data because, you know, it. I, I don't know if I want to make this point, but I think I have to, that Jenna is kind of aggressive and Data goes along with it because Data is polite and friendly, well, but he doesn't seem like he really wants it. And I think does, he, no, no, go ahead. He almost does it out of scientific interest in a way. Like right. Data wants to be human. So he's, so again, one of the things is humans get into romantic relationships. Well, here's a woman that, you know, he does, again, he does enjoy her company, you know, as Riker points out, she's not bad to look at, you know. Why not? You know, if, you know, she's not a bad choice to do the romantic relationship experiment with. Yeah. I think is his thought process on this. I think so. And I think it's a, it's, it's a little, it does a little bit of disservice to Data, though, I think, because yes. Data is not a moron. And, I think Data would realize at this point, I mean, you know, he's been alive for I don't know how long, you know, years and years and years at this point. Um, you know, frankly, I think that the the background of Data would have made a lot more sense if he was fresh out of the academy or something, because I think he had graduated from the academy like, I don't know, 30 years before this or something. Oh, so you would I didn't think realize that he, it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, you would think that he had a lot of experience with people before that. I, I don't know. But, you know, it just it just it just strikes me as odd that, you know, Data would would be this naive i don't know i don't know but maybe at the other at the other point we also get maybe you get the sense that i mean the first few years out of data's when data was discovered he wasn't exactly hanging out in the world he was probably in a lab interacting mostly with other scientists solely on a scientific basis you know that could be they were probably studying him and then when they real you know he was probably helping them out with experiments and you know doing that and at some point you know it was decided okay well we'll take him to the academy and in the academy i'm sure he didn't have that many close relationships and friendships with his classmates i mean you have a bunch of 18 to 20 something year olds you know they're going to be he's just going to be the android who's going to class and studying and you know spending his time in the simulator and honing his skills and then but the but the thing is as as you said that makes it makes it makes sense why he you know no matter how if he'd been just been out of the academy, even if it had been 30 years earlier and he just decided to go into Starfleet now, that would be one thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be. And I, you know, and I also think that, you know, it, it, this episode more than I think a lot of other ones really puts the point on is, is data like this because he's an Android or is data like this because it's his personality. Yeah. And I think I have to go with the latter interpretation because we've seen lore. And, you know, I think about lore and I think about how he has emotions and I think about how he acts. And, you know, Data, does Data have a sexual drive? Really? I don't get the impression that he does. Does Data want a romantic relationship? I don't get the impression that he does. You know, and so... I don't think it's a problem that at the end of the episode he kind of goes, all right, well, that was... You I know, mean, the th- thing with the program try- reminds me of almost how he plays violin or whatever. Like, we, you know, he, we, he's been told that he plays instruments by studying all of these, you know, great, you know, violin players throughout time and, you know, amalgamating. And obviously what he's doing with his relationship program is he's watched a ton of romantic movies and, you know, read a lot of Shakespeare and stuff in his synthesize that into a mechanical he's performing being a romantic boyfriend yes and i think when he says i'm deleting that program he's deleting that performance but it doesn't that's different than his feelings yes yes i yeah absolutely and i think the episode thinks the opposite of that yes which is a problem yes because i was about to say contrast the way that he acts in this episode with the offspring Mm. and and in that episode 
That is an organic he doesn't need a emotion that data he wants a child and he loves that child and he's very upset when she dies. And there is no indication in that episode that he's performing or that he's doing that because that's what humans do. He's doing it because that's what data wants to do. In this episode, I get the exact opposite he impression. Does, he doesn't make a, a daddy program on his right. wall. He raises her according to what his instincts are. And if he looks at manuals, it's not to make a an artificial performance about it. And I could even say that, you know, I don't think this is true, but I think that, you know, if you if you compare and contrast the two episodes, uh, I, I, I think you could make the argument that Data cares more about other androids than people. But at the same, I don't necessarily... I'm not making that argument, I but don't, I'm just saying I wouldn't necessarily could. blame him for that, though, because, I mean... Klingons tend to value other Klingons, you know, more humans yeah. tend to value other humans. You know, that's a – I think the episode – the, the series does make it clear that people do have – I mean, we're, we're, this is what redemption is going to be about. But people do have a lot of conflicts towards Starfleet and their own species in a way. They have a lot of com- – people have of conflicting loyalties based on where they come from. So, yeah, if if – Data tends to va- value another android. That's just another human quality he has. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, I think so. Um, the last thing I want to mention before we move on to redemption is uh, Picard is a fucking terrible pilot. He destroys a shuttlecraft. <laughs> yeah, why did he do that? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Actually, I have to say, I completely forgot about the a plot in this one. Or you, you know what I mean? Well, like, the, B, the, the B plot. You know, I would say it's one of those where the main, you know, where, where the threat to the ship is the B plot in a way. Yeah, no, it is the B plot. And it's it was, absolutely the B plot, and it doesn't it, matter. Yeah, it was a fairly entertaining as far as that goes. You know, oh, what's happening? Oh, it's a mystery. Okay, that solves it. But again, I like when they, they the show is able to do that. It is able to make it just. This is a story about. You know, whether or not any, an android can have a romantic relationship with the human being and, you know, that other stuff is just to punctuate and break it up. Yeah, absolutely. And directed by Patrick Stewart, by the way. Really? Yeah. So maybe that's because he was directing the episode. He was metaphorically piloting the shuttle. Correct. Oh, this is a deep episode. Uh, I will give in theory six spots. Okay. I would give it eight because I love Spot. Okay. Well, let's move on to Redemption. Part one. This is quite an episode. This is a hell of an episode. It's 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 funny for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think, number one, it's interesting that the show is going down the road of having season-ending cliffhangers now. Yeah. Uh, because you could really see a different show where Best of Both Worlds was a one-off, an anomaly, and then the show never did it again. Um, so I think it was a little... But frankly, it was brave of them to try again. I and I also I liked that very much. It feels very big. Um, but I also like that this episode is very different from Best of Both Worlds. Oh, it's I mean, a, yeah. Best of Both Worlds was a big creature feature. It was a weird alien, and they're taking over the planet. And oh my god, and what's going to happen? And you had all of this character stuff grounding it. You know, it was mostly a Riker uh, episode about you know how is he you know about Riker's taking of command. It was. You know, this is more than now it's a political thriller. It's, you know, there's assassinations and plots and, you know, everyone trying to, you know, who's the traitor and all of that. And but yet it's also grounded by this is just as just as best of both worlds was where Riker was leading up to. This is where Worf's been leading up to. Worf has Worf's entire arc has been leading to a point when he has to choose between being in the Federation and being a Klingon. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny because watching this episode, I was really struck by how much they fit into this time. Yes. Because, you know, if you take away the opening and ending credits, they've got about 43 minutes to get through all this stuff. And yeah. this is part one of two. Yeah, this is a big and, episode. I don't even know where it can go. Like, if you think about this, and I know we've talked about this in the past, about serialization and how television is made nowadays and, you know, how the next generation is, is quite different from that. Um you know, it's funny because the the AV Club um, a, a few weeks ago uh, published this sort of like overall, you know, uh, 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 thing about the Star Trek franchise and how to get into it and is it worth watching and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, someone left a really a really interesting comment, which is basically like, you know, the next generation is uh, 
I think it's just he said basically or she said that it's discounted for a couple of reasons. It's discounted because it's a show that is old enough that it's still recognizable as part of our era. Yeah. So it's not like the original series yeah. where we can put it into a, a into a cultural and, and societal context. That's number one. That's why it's discounted. And I think that's correct. Uh, the second reason is that it's it's very different in tone and style from the sort of prestige you know, cable yes. dramas, as they put it, um, that, that are popular nowadays. Because if you really think about redemption, um, I could see the next generation 2014 version doing redemption, the first episode, as like a 10 episode season. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a problem because I think one of the issues with television nowadays is that while there are a lot of really good serialized television shows that use that time wisely and use it very well, I think that there are a lot of them that just make serialized television shows because that's what you do now. Exactly. We have 10 hours to fill. We've got to hit these story beats and, you know, all right, well, that leaves you know, six hours to fill. Yeah, exactly. And so what I, what I like about the next generation and what I'm, what I'm really coming to appreciate about it on this rewatch, because I was someone who discounted the show in the past where I said, well, it was good for its time and it has a lot of classic episodes, but on the whole, I don't think it's worth watching. I would definitely not have that opinion yeah. now. And, you know, watching redemption, I'm really amazed by the, the, the sort of breath and the, and the sort of like turning it's on a dime that the show can do. episode, every single scene is really important. Yeah, and it's it's immensely entertaining. It's immensely thought provoking. It's it's you know I don't even like Klingons that much, but I think that this is the best Klingon episode the show has done so yeah. far. Um, and I think it's it works because there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of turning, and there's a lot of you know things things change on a dime, and there's a lot of reveals. I mean, there's like two or three dramatic reveals throughout the course of the yeah, episode. Yeah, the towards the end of this episode, because I wasn't really watching the you know time of it, and again because it's such a dense episode, I thought it was closer to the end of that there was, and there were several points during the last you know five ten minutes where I was like, okay, is it going to end now? It could end now at this point. No, oh my God! There's another scene, and that scene tops that. Okay, well, it has to end now. I mean, that happened a couple of times for me, and that really a- amping the tension every time. This was a very tense episode because it's just as, and again, it, it, even though it's a very different in tone than Best of Both Worlds, it's as dangerous as Best of Both Worlds in a way. And I think in a way, it's it's a little even more scary because yeah, you know, Best of Both Worlds is really about the Federation and Federation ideals coming up against an enemy or coming up against a race where it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want, but their ideals are not going to fight the Borg. They have to fight the Borg. Whereas what you see in Redemption is the Federation living up to its ideals of non-interference and all these kind of things. Uh, but still being put into a situation where it could be very dangerous for them for reasons that have nothing to do with an actual, like, war. Yeah. Which I find very interesting. And you also have the same thing in a way. You have the splitting of the Klingon ideals. I mean, the... the Again, Worf's arc has been, what does it mean to be Klingon? We've said he's kind of the... You know, he's the convert. He's the one who didn't grow up this. So he's become, you know, he's getting everything he learned from books and getting, you know, studying very hard and being uber Klingon. Right. You know, this is at the point at the end of this episode, he is deciding, all right, I need to actually live as a Klingon for a while. And yet we are seeing within the Klingon culture two very different interpretations of what power means. Yeah, because I think what you're really seeing is and I do want to talk about Worf and I do want to talk about specifically Worf and Picard, but. What I like about the episode is that it doesn't really, you know, and this is, I think, a problem that the, the, the franchise gets into a little bit later, but it doesn't paint the the opponents of Galran as these sort of like mustache twirling villains. No. Kind of skirts towards that line. But, you know, I think especially in that scene with Beto- uh, uh, Lursa and Bator and Picard, it really does a good job towards making it more of a subtle uh, sort of game yeah. Uh, a, a political well, game. I mean, here's the. I mean, they make it clear that. I mean, so number one, I loved. They were evil Patty and Selma. Yeah, I loved their apartment because it was exactly what two maiden ants who were plotting that their apartment would look like if they were Klingon. I mean, they and they were wonderful. But um, all they needed was a targ. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean. 
they're not you get the sense that the opponents of Gauron are going with Daras's family because well that's where the power lies. What's the point of supporting Gauron when Gauron's not going to win and you're going to have I mean that's going to split the the empire more when meanwhile if we just all go quietly to Daras's side, you know. All right, we'll be fine, you know. Not only will we be fine, we will be leaving the Federation Alliance and we will be yeah. sort of like combatants again in a way. Yeah. And I think that there is a, you know, if you think back all the way to, to, to Heart of Glory from the first season, um, mm. you you see that there are Klingons out there that are not perhaps pleased with the direction the Klingon Empire is going in, uh, having an alliance with the Federation, becoming more peaceful. Um, even go back to the mind's eye from last week where you had this sort of like, you know, a, a, a colonial governor sort of having this issue and there's all these machinations with the Romulans and things. Yeah. And of course, the reveal in this episode that the Romulans are working with your sisters yes. again. Which we've, you know, it, that puts into context in a way several episodes. Right. You know, th- again, this is the culmination of that whole you know, from Worf's father being accused to of working with the Romulans. This is kind of the end game of this is happening. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think it's interesting because if you look back to, you know, the Federation and the Romulans, or I'm sorry, the, the Klingons and the Romulans, you know, being allies all the way back in the original series, and then sort of the stuff happening with Star Trek Six, and, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the um, collapse of their moon, Praxis, and they had to, you know, help get the Federation's help or their, their race was going to die and all these kind of things. And, you know, this was, this was an alliance born of necessity and, and sort of not really of, of, of wanting. Yeah. The Federation, I think, wanted it, but I don't think that, you know, well, some of them did, uh, you know, certainly Kirk and a lot yeah, of other well, people well, Let me just ask but, a quick question and refresh me on Star Trek Six. Why didn't the Klingons go to the Romulans for help if they were allied at the time? That's a good question. I mean, I think that in in a sense, uh, you know, I don't think that there's ever really a reason given. If I had to come up with a reason on the fly, I think it would have more to do with the fact that, number one, uh, the Romulans perhaps viewed this as a good opportunity to end the Alliance and also end the Klingons. Okay. Uh, so that they would be the main power in the, in the quadrant. Okay. Um, you know, I also think, frankly, that, you know, I, it, it probably wasn't in the cards anyway because I think that movie was just too you know, overstuffed as it was. Yeah. No, uh, I, I was just curious about that because, yeah, again, it was a, you know, the Klingon Federation Alliance. Yeah, it was just through an act of God, really, that that yeah. happened. And let's not forget that the Klingon-Romulan alliance from the original series happened only because they wanted to use Romulan ships for Klingons because they couldn't afford to build more <laughs> Klingon ships. Yeah. So really, this episode is the culmination of an act of budget then. Yes, I think so. But it is interesting that how all of this, you know, if you do trace it that way, how this does all lead to this episode. It is really interesting how all of this is adding up to that. I think so. And I, I, I think that, you know, again, you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I, I do think that, you know, the next generation gets doesn't get its due no. for, for doing serialization in an interesting way. And I think that this episode is the culmination of a lot of things that, some of them certainly were just written as one-off episodes, but I think that there was a plan in place. And it thinks and it, there was partially a plan, and it also it thinks about the implications of other stuff again. It's yeah, the, yeah. And it takes you know it. That's the thing about Star Trek that I really like is that it does take these. You know, you could have a lot of criticisms about Star Trek. It's a, it's a goofy. It's idealistic. It's it's kind of sappy. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues with the way that you know alien races are sort of indicative of their cultures and all these kind yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah. But at the same time, the show does a good job at you know really taking these different alien cultures seriously, sketching them yeah. out as much as is possible and as much as it's interesting. And, you know, really living up to the ideals of the Federation, which are respecting the traditions of the Klingon Empire. Because I don't think, frankly, that Picard uh, 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 wants to be involved in this. I don't think that Picard necessarily thinks that it's, it's noble or moral to, you know, become the chancellor of the Klingon Empire by murdering people. But he respects the Klingon culture. He respects Worf a lot. Yeah. And... He's a man who really is, I think, the the sort of er ideal of what it means to be a Starfleet officer and a Federation citizen. Again, we, you know, here we have another episode where the differences between Kirk and Picard are very clear. You know, Kirk would have, you know, made some decisions or made some more active points just because, well, I, you know, he needs to do what's right, uh, which is defined by what he thinks, of course. Yeah. But at the same, you know, but 
Picard has respect for the law in this case, and even though it's not the desired outcome, that's not the law's fault in a way. Or, you know, that that's, of course, you know, if you're going to be on the losing side, you're not going to be happy about that. And situations where it may not be the desired outcome for you, you have to follow them because the sanctity of the law is more important. That's yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, if you one of the I think one of the most disheartening shots in all of Star Trek The Next Generation is that shot of the of the Enterprise turning away from the battle. Yeah. You know, I mean it's like, wow, he actually did it. Mm. You know, I didn't think you know, I had sort of forgotten some of the finer points of the episode and I had sort of forgotten that moment. And uh that was you know, yeah. that was surprising to me to see that. You know, that that he did leave that battle. But I think that you know, that was the choice that he had to make because, you know, Picard doesn't want to drag the Federation into a Klingon civil war. He can't. Yeah, he can't play favorites, really. That's not the and, you know, it, the he, Federation is not the Romulans. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate that somebody that Picard loves is on that ship and is in, affected by this conflict. But he can't make that exception because that's the way of madness. You know, I mean, that's how one does become corrupted. Yeah, because he's able to put aside his duties as a Starfleet officer and his personal feelings, you know, because there's, you know, that scene at the very end when when, you know, he orders Worf back to duty and Worf has to resign. Um, that could have poisoned their relationship if Picard was a yeah. lesser man. But the very next scene or the, the scene directly, you know, the next scene is Picard going to Worf's quarters as Worf is packing to leave. And making it very clear to Worf and the audience. Yeah. Perhaps more importantly. Yes. That. Picard understands Worf's choices, that he admires Worf in a way, and he, he's he's honored to call him an officer and a friend. And well, I think that that's, that's really the, the heart of the episode in a way. There is, yeah, there are times when he has to act as Captain Picard and times when he can act as Jean-Luc. And he comes to the, he makes the decision to accept the resignation as Captain Picard, but as Jean-Luc, he wants him to know there's, you know, that's, it's a different feeling. You know, I think also, of course, the episode has to do that because yes. Worf is going to be back. I mean, yeah, and I mean, that's the other thing. Like, I know that he's going to be the ne the circumstances of the next episode or if they do another coda like they did with Family. Well, you know, by episode two, he's going to be back in Starfleet of the next season. Like, but at the same time, what brings him back? How does, you know, I you do still have questions even, uh, you know, as a contemporary of the, but then I think it's interesting that in, both season cliffhangers and with somebody apparently leaving. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I don't think that happens next year. But oh, anyway, that, spoilers. that was <laughs> well. I won't say anything more than that. Um, it ends. With, it ends with all of them leaving. Oh, yeah. It's Doctor Crusher has the bomb and she's in the you know Romulan ship. Ha ha ha! Picard, just try and get me. No, John Luke. Ha ha ha! Because she would call him John Luke in that point. We haven't talked about who, who, who I don't whoever know that if is. I can yet. Yeah. But I did want to mention that uh, I very deliberately did not mention this last week, but uh, uh, she is in the mind's eye. I was going to say they did have the they had the shadowy. Yeah, I, I actually well, I made the note like, oh, cool. It's the shadowy Romulan commander lady again, you know. That's interesting. And then because I'm wondering, I'm like, well, who we we haven't seen any Lady Romulan commanders yet. Is it going to be the one from the original series in that episode or what? But OK, you know, and like I said, I kept wondering, well, how are they going to top that reveal at the end of the episode? And that's like the last shot of this episode. And OK, you got me. I'm, I'm going to be waiting all summer for this uh Show to start back up again. Like, I mean, damn, in, 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 in <laughs> that's how you end a season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a, in, a, in a certain, yeah, we're not going to do an episode of Trek about for three months just so you have to wait. No, we're not doing that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think on the one hand, you know, you, you could look at that moment and say, "Holy shit, what is going on?" I think. On yeah. The other, on the other hand, you could look at that moment and say, "Holy shit, is this show turning into a soap opera?" But I, I, I it's the kind of thing. I mean, number one. It's the kind of moment that is very much for the hardcore fans because if you just started watching it this season, you know, you wouldn't know because at, this, she is. at, at yeah. this, yeah, let's say you saw, you know, your friend told you, "Oh my god, best of both worlds," you got to watch it. So you check the rerun and you follow from this point. That's going to mean nothing to you, but if you've been following since season one, holy shit, that's a reveal. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, like the the the, epi the series 
has been very good to its fans in a way that doesn't feel pandery, but it is – the series loves its fans, I think. And oh, absolutely. And it wants to give them – Little moments again. You you know they wanted people who were having you know finale parties, you know, watching and be like, "What the fuck? What happened?" You know. Yeah, no, I think that's right, and I think you know, it, you know, less less amusingly, perhaps, is that you know the 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 show really does. It, it's able to follow on threads, pick things up. Yeah. You know, we don't know exactly who that person is. Is it Tasha Yar? Is it not? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. But. At this point, we don't know. We'll probably know next week. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so much. And, and what really matters is that the show is able to uh, uh, pull aside, you know, these disparate elements and, and really make something interesting with them. I mean, the show's been able to bring Tashiar back, you know, because it's, yeah, yeah. it's a science fiction show. And, you know, th- that's also one of the nice things about it, because it can be any one of a thousand different things. She yeah. could be a clone. She yeah. could be an android. She could be, you know, an alternate dimension. You know, it's there's so many possibilities right now. That it could be Data dressed up as Tasha Yar. That would be so great. That's what that is. No, it's it not. could be War. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I, I do want to. Well, what do you think of Galron now? Because uh, uh, Galron is a character that uh, 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 reoccurs. And, uh, you know, this is not the first, this is what, the second time we've seen Gowron now? So I'm curious about what you think of him, about <clears throat> what you think his motivations are. Well, I don't necessarily, I think it's interesting when, I just thought it was very interesting the scene at the beginning when he's essentially telling Picard to go outside of Klingon tradition in order to secure his power when the others are going outside of Klingon tradition in order to secure their power. And, and also don't forget that, the next scene directly after that is, or, or maybe it's not, but it's it's close. Well, is 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 Worf asking Galron to rescind his discommendation, and Galron makes a big, yeah, you know, Klingon blah honor speech about how he can't do that because Worf made the decision, and this is how you know blah blah blah. And then Worf, which, you know, ends up realizing that it's just bad timing. You know, I need to. He's not backed up yet, and you know, once he's in the court, you know. And that's one of the things that this – I mean that's what they've – one of the points that they've been hitting home with Klingon every single time is that there are as many different interpretations of what it means to be Klingon as there are Klingons. Yeah. And yeah. they all have this – I mean they have the same ideal of uh, of power as an honor – as you know, the average American does about freedom, but there are a billion different definitions of freedom, and I, I think it's interesting that they play with that because a lot of the Klingon-based conflicts are due to this misinterpret, this these different interpretations of what honor is. I think that's a good point, and I think it also nicely contrasts the Klingon Empire with the Federation again because. If you look at the Federation as as the you know the political entity in the galaxy, which which says what it believes and yeah. believes what it says, and the Klingon Empire is pretty much the exact opposite of that. You know, you definitely have honor, yeah. honor, honor all over the place. But at the end of the day, there's a ton of backroom deals. There's a ton of backroom deals. There's a ton of backstabbing. Um, Klingons are Klingons are more like Romulans. Then, then certainly uh, uh, they are more like the Federation. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's interesting that there is a. I think that Worf is, you know, this is a good opportunity to transition into talking about Worf because I think Worf is supposed to be the character, the character with a capital T, yeah. that is the representation of a certain strain or political party or belief system or whatever yeah. you want to call it in Klingon society, which doesn't either know about these sort of the the corruptness of the government or 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 is fighting actively against it. He's a reformer. He's a reformer exactly. And so I think that when he throws his hat in the ring with Galron, it's an interesting moment because Klingon, you know, we talked about Worf as the true believer, as the convert, as the person who really does believe in honor above all else to the point where he took a discommendation last season that was founded on faulty evidence to save the the face of the Klingon Empire and the Klingon High Council. But at the end of this episode, he's thrown his lot in with Galron, who has proven himself to be 
as much of a backroom dealer as any other Klingons. Well, that's the interesting thing because, yeah, it seems – I mean the Federation is designed in such a way as to – root out corruption in itself. The Federation always examines itself, and the yes. Federation always tries to figure... You know, the Federation has all these processes in place. You get the sense that the processes in place in Klingon protect the backroom deals. And... Kling, I think Klingons value the appearance of propriety yes. more than propriety. Yes, that... No, that that's that sounds... That's exactly it. Yeah. They're they're a very ritualized culture in a way the Federation is not. And so there is in a way, as long as we're doing the right, you know, saying the right words and, you know, doing the ceremony in the right way and standing in the right places and, you know, all of that, then we're all right. And it doesn't matter. They're a – in in a way we could go into a theological argument. They're a – the Klingons are faith-based – Religion and the Federation is a works-based or, uh, religion in a in a sense. Yeah, I mean that's that's a metaphor for both of them. But you know the Klingons just believe in as long as again, as long as we're doing the letter of the law, we're all right. The Federation believes that there is a deeper morality there. Yes, and I think that the Federation has designed and and, and written its laws to to protect that deeper morality but realizes that those written down rules cannot always do yes. that and so it does give you know especially starfleet captains some latitude there whereas i think that the klingon military does not yeah you know and i also think that you know in a sense it's interesting that you know we have these two factions led by galron and the dura sisters um and the dura sisters are going towards the Romulans to back them and Gowron is going towards the Federation to back him. Now you could read that as a very cynical action because there's really no one else out there that could, yeah, could combat the Romulan forces otherwise. But does it say something about the kind of Klingon that Gowron is that he's relying on the Federation or perhaps asking them for help? Does he respect the way that they do things or is he just boldly using them? I think it's could be even a combination of both, but I I think it's important to think of the scene with <clears throat> the scene with Worf when he goes to his brother and his brother's got all these great ideas to depose Garon and you know turn the situation to his advantage and Worf says like no this is what we're doing we're talking to Garon he's we're going to support him we're going to get him the, you know and he's going to end we're doing it this way and the brother you know starts to snipe and he's like no. I'm the older brother. What I say goes, and he reluctantly, but he goes with it. And the number one that says a lot about Worf's brother, because, Kern, yeah. about Kern, because he, yes, Kern is impulsive. Yes, Kern is impatient. Kern isn't as tactically and strategic as Worf is. Worf is more able to pick his moment. Again, by picking his moment, he ends up getting a lot more out of out of Gowron than the brother would have. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think Worf kind of sees almost part of his role in backing Garon is, but we have to do things this way. Like you've got to be if Garon, if you're going to be the head of the council, here's how you've got to do that. Here's kind of you need to really back up your principles with your actions. You need to, you know, do this all legally according to the law. There's no backroom deals in this. I think that's kind of. I do think there's an element of Worf backing Gowron to kind of nudge him in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, there's a couple things going on there. I think, number one, it's interesting that Worf is, you know, he's 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 obviously using his, his you know, the, the belief, you know, sort of this strong belief and grain belief, perhaps, in, in Klingon honor and, and sort of like the sanctity of family and things yeah. like that. Um, you know, his brother very readily agrees to to do that, as you said, and 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 does actually uh, follow through with that, which I think is interesting because yeah. I think that does say a lot about whether or not Klingons, you know, always believe in the family and always believe in honor and duty and doing the right thing or not, which they don't. Yeah, uh, there is an element of there which they will do the right thing if possible. And Kern believes in Worf is what's important. And Kern believes in Worf, and 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 Kern respects. Yeah, if he doesn't respect Worf, and I I think he does. He does. He respects Worf, and he. Also also respects Worf as his brother, yes, um, and as the the leader of the house um, or of the family. 
And I think the other interesting thing is that, you know, Gowron, this is only his second appearance. We don't know that much about him, but you know, we kind of get the sense uh, that that Gowron perhaps is learning how to play the political game in this episode or 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 only in the past few months. Yeah. He, he does seem to be a bit naive. He seems to think, well, I will become chancellor of the Klingon Empire and then everything will be fine. Yeah, he thought he didn't real I you get the sense he almost didn't realize he needed to did to be making a lot of allies and the Rodorosses have been making allies for years. That's it seems to be what they're really good at. That's that's their big skill. And and that's yeah. Garrod forgot either forgot about it or did a shitty job of it. And he, I mean, that scene when they say, you know, well, who's with us? And literally, the entire council goes over to Duras's side. Like, okay. <laughs> well, because I also think that there's an element to which I don't. I don't want to paint Gowron as a complete, you know, naive fool. No. He does. He obviously does have some political acumen, or he wouldn't have gotten this no, far. No, no. But I don't think that Gowron knows, or or if he does know, he doesn't believe or appreciate exactly how far the 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 you know pathogen in Klingon society has gone. Yeah. You know? Because let's not forget that the Duras sisters and and their their nephew or whoever the hell he is, uh, <laughs> you know, I frankly I don't put it past the Duras sisters. Yeah, I was to, gonna say the implication. There's an implication that they're playing some kind of trick. I mean. Yeah, I mean, yes, they did some genetic background testing, but who the hell knows? Really, you know, there's yeah. there's a way that they can falsify that. Um, I say, could it be one of their kids with that of, you know, that may even have. Yeah. Who well, that could be some kid at an orphan. I mean, yeah, who knows, exactly. You know? they're, 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 it's fairly clear that something as fishy is going on there, but no one can prove it yet. And it's fairly clear that, you know, they are the, you know, the, the scene yes. behind the scenes. As yes. It were. Yeah. They would be. They, they need, you know, while they need a region to take over the council while he grows up. Yeah. But I think the, you know, the implication there and the, the, the real point is that, you know, Gowron doesn't realize um, exactly how far down the corruption yeah. goes. And the fact of the matter is, you know, the Duras sisters are working with the Romulans. Yeah, and they've done as much. The people are on the Duras' side as much by intimidation. I mean, it, I think it's funny that you have, you know, Picard is unable to be scared by them like. Again, the scene when they're over for over have when he's over there for tea, and they're really just subtly, you know, trying to terrify each other, and he's just sitting there, and he is recognized. He figures out everything there that's going on pretty yep. much, and you know, he gives it back to them. But he, they both make it clear what the stakes of the situation are for them. I mean, well, I- Picard is much better at being a Klingon than most of the other Klingons are, and I mean, I think that's. Garon recognizes that in Picard. Yeah, because I think, you know, the funny thing is, I think that Picard uses the stereotype of the soft humans yeah. uh, as a way to sort of get an edge on in situations yeah. like this. And, you know, certainly I don't think the Duras sisters are, are, I don't think that they're, I think they're underestimating the Federation. I think a lot of alien races in Star Trek do, and there are structural reasons for that. But, you know, I also think that it works because they do a lot of really strong character work, especially with Picard, that makes it clear that, you know, they are wrong to think that, you know, that, that Picard is able to stand up to them and just kind of go, yeah, yeah, whatever I'm leaving, you know, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I think it's funny because again, going back to how Klingon seems to believe in its rituals a little more than what they mean. I think they almost get the sense that knowing the rituals and knowing the right words is all there is to be Klingon. And so it's disconcerting when Picard can do it and he's got a set of brass ones as well. Like, yeah. Uh, that they. Well, because I think the implication, of course, yeah. is that if the Duras sisters had to go to the Federation Council, uh, they probably get their ass handed. Them. Yeah. So I think that they probably they respect Picard and I think they, they probably fear him, too. Yeah. Because they, they I don't think that they can predict what he'll do. Yeah, that's it. I mean, this is an episode of who has the bigger stick. Is it the Federation or the Romulans backing the Klingons? And. You know, I think it's almost clear that the Federation and the Romulans can—they're match—they're a good match for each other in a way. The the Romulans have been behind the scenes, but they've done some damage, or they've gone close to. Well, and I think in this, yeah, and I think this episode highlights exactly 
why the Federation Klingon Alliance has worked. Because yes. I think that, you know, there are Klingons, there are a lot of Klingons in the government and, and throughout the, the, the empire that, that do respect the Federation. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it, it really does go a long way towards venerating the ideals of the Federation, which is that, you know, if you give everybody their due and if you respect them, um, they will come around eventually. And I think that this episode is sort of, you know, maybe maybe not the last gasp of that sort of attitude. And well, the opposite attitude in Klingon society, but it's it's a last gasp of that sort of attitude in Klingon society. I mean, they, I think one of the things then this comes back from Heart of Glory, whereas is the there is a difference between fighting for and fighting against. And a lot of Klingons think fighting against is and the fact that the Federation doesn't make war, doesn't fight against means it's weaker than, you know, war being warlike in Klingon. But there are enough Klingons who realize, no, the Federation is tough. The Federation is trying to build something which is just as tough. And I think there are plenty of Klingons who do realize that, you know, Picard does have a heart of a Klingon. And that yeah. that is 100% compatible with the Federation because, let's face it, everybody knows that Picard represents the Federation as much as is humanly possible. He's the captain of the flagship. Yeah, I actually think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to end. Okay, so, but what's going to happen next week? Well, we'll find oh out. Oh, my God. We'll find out next week when we talk about Redemption 2 <gasps> and Darmok. 